Glad you're here. Uh, last week we did announce that Piper was baptized. Piper's here though. Wave, Piper. Yeah. I told her that we, you know, celebrated her, but she wasn't here to see it. So now you see her, make sure you go hug your new sister in Christ. That's pretty cool. I love to uh, announce that and be hyped up about that on a Sunday morning together. Uh, so like I said, welcome again. Uh, thankful to be here with you all again this morning. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we just started a, a short series entitled Great Faith. Uh, we're talking about just different areas at which, you know, sometimes in life it is difficult to have faith. Amen. It is difficult sometimes when you're going through periods of struggle, uh, periods of hardship, to have faith in Jesus. So we want to touch on a few areas in which we can kind of invest in ourselves in order to have a deeper faith in Christ. Last week I gave you homework, okay? Raise your hands. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands, all right? Uh, But I hope last week you were able to spend time in Philippians chapter 2 and just see how Jesus was humble in such a real and direct way, in a way that's so other than what we experience, but so tangible in a similar way that we can humble ourselves to one another, the way that Jesus humbled himself even to death on a cross, to be lifted up by the Father in that state so that we can be with him forever. That humility is unreal, but we are so thankful this morning to gather together to worship a God who takes on the humility of a servant, who takes on the humility of flesh and blood and even death, and not only dies a natural death, but dies a gruesome death on behalf of his people. And in that place, he was lifted up. His humility is supernatural, and we worship a supernaturally humble God. Amen? This morning, we're going to touch on the idea of trust. But just to kind of reframe our minds, I need to turn this on, just to reframe our minds, we're talking about faith in the context of Hebrews 11.1. Let's read this together out loud uh, as we begin this morning. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And we talked about this is what makes faith so difficult. This part right here where it's about the assurance about what we do not see. And last week we touched on humility and the humility of the centurion, right? How the faith of the centurion was shaped by how he was able to walk through life in a humble way. That the people in his circles, they recognize that although he is a man of great authority and great power, he did not see himself to be lording over people in that way. Yes, he tells people to go and they go. He tells people to come and stay. They come and stay. But he recognizes that he is under authority as well. And when he sees the authority of Jesus, he humbles himself to Jesus. And Jesus says, wow, what great faith, even greater than all the people in Israel. Right? His humility showed his faith in this unreal way that Jesus was amazed by it. So this morning, we're going to look at trust and how trusting God can expand our faith. So I want you to think about the people in your life that you trust the most, okay? Maybe it's a loved one, maybe it's a friend, maybe whoever it might be, but we trust a lot of people, right? In a little bit different ways, okay? I, when I go to the doctor, I trust my doctor to know what x-rays mean, right? I could not look at the x-ray and tell you, oh, this bone, I could t- probably say that bone is broken, right? That bone is not broken, right? But the doctor has gone to school and through residency and all these years practicing, so I trust the doctor in that arena. I also trust my UPS driver, okay, to not go through my stuff. 
Sometimes, you know, you get that box and it's busted up. You're like, did he look through my stuff? But I usually trust my UPS driver to not go through my stuff. And I also trust my mechanic. A couple, I think last week I talked about how little I know about cars, right? I trust my, my mechanic to know what he's talking about or what she's talking about in the arenas. But trust is not universal, right? As much as I trust my doctor to operate on my knee, I would not trust my doctor to operate on my car, okay? As much as I trust my UPS driver to deliver my packages and not go through my stuff, I do not want my UPS driver to operate on my body. You see what I'm saying here. We have trust in people in our lives, but it is not universal trust. Even with our loved ones, I wouldn't trust my wife to operate on me, okay? She's super, super smart. Uh, But you know what? I would trust my wife to pick the right person to do. So there's levels of trust that we experience in our lives, right? There's levels of trust. And I want to get to the point where we are, you know, in agreement that trust is difficult in this world to come by, right? We say, we talk to, to, to people about earning our trust, earning our respect through time and attention. And I believe it's through the experience of humans that it becomes difficult to trust Jesus, right? When we go through our lives and we experience trust and we also experience distrust, dishonesty, betrayal, it becomes difficult to trust Jesus, especially in the context of Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In this world, we want to trust what we can see in front of our eyes. And I believe it becomes difficult when we can't trust Jesus in the same way because we can't see Jesus in the same way we see people. It is just plain difficult. But I want to encourage us to say that we're not lost here. I'm not saying it's impossible to trust Jesus, but I think it takes intention to trust Jesus, okay? We need to step outside of our mindset of how we interact with people and say Jesus is just different, okay? We have to get to this place where we can trust Jesus more than we can trust each other. Because I believe it's difficult to trust, especially when we go through the same rhythms in our lives. The same rhythms, maybe it's a bad relationship or a bad marriage where you sit across the table from that person and you just don't trust them anymore. Maybe it's with even a a child that, you, that you've raised ever since you know, they were babies and, and they're grown adults now and you look across them and you don't believe a word that comes out of their mouth. Or maybe it's an even deeper trust issue within yourself to where you fall into the same sin and temptation over and over again and you can't trust yourself in certain situations. Trust is difficult, but Jesus is different. Can we get an amen to that, please? That's really important, Okay. Trusting each other is difficult, but Jesus is different, okay? The world wants us to be too deep in our doubts, okay? The the world wants us to, to get into the cycle of doubt to say, if you doubt, you cannot have faith. If you have any inkling of doubt, you cannot trust in Jesus. Well, I want to say that's inaccurate. That's bad theology, and we're going to read together. I'm going to read this this morning. And Matthew 14, an example of exactly what that means for our lives, okay? So if you have your Bibles, I love paper Bibles. I know I I let you guys cheat every Sunday by having Bible verses up here. But I would love if you had a paper Bible to open up to Matthew 14 or your phone Bible or whatever it is. I'm going to read this. Immediately Jesus came to the disciples, or excuse me, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side 
while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he was afraid and began to, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, uh, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick touch just the edge of their cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So we have this scene here, but before we get to Matthew 14 and what we just read, you have this image in your mind of Peter walking on the water. I think it's important to understand what happened before this scene took place, okay? In, in Matthew chapter 14, two things happened already, okay? John the Baptist was beheaded, and Jesus feeds the 5,000, okay? John the Baptist was beheaded, and Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, and in this context, just a brief summary... Herod is tricked into ordering John the Baptist to be beheaded. It's a very, very complex situation. Uh, John the Baptist was already in jail, but Herod, he, he executed the order of, the, of this woman at the time, and they beheaded John the Baptist and brought his head to her. It's very, very gruesome, okay? And Jesus and John the Baptist, the reason why it's important is Jesus and the John the Baptist are connected, okay? We, we recognize they're cousins, right? But what did, what did John the Baptist do for Jesus' ministry? He prepared the way, right? Not only did he prepare the way in his preaching and his teaching, but he also baptized Jesus. Okay, they are forever connected. Let's, let's look at what Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John, okay? What did you, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not... What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, in more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets of the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who has come. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You can hear Jesus, right? You can hear how he feels about John the Baptist. Not only is it his family, but this man is greater than anyone born of women. 
He is this Elijah to this age. He is this prophet shouting in the wilderness, preparing the way for Jesus. I love what he says here in Matthew eleven eleven. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. And in Matthew chapter 14, as Jesus is ministering and he's preaching, he hears word that John the Baptist has been executed. That's got to have a deep level of hurt for Jesus, right? We know that Jesus would mourn with his people. He know that he would cry with his people. But when his own family member is beheaded, and his own, not only his own family member, but the one who is preparing the way for him, things change a little bit. Like I said, John the Baptist prepared the way, and we know that we know the way that Jesus is going, right? Eventually, Jesus is going to die on a cross for the sake of many. And in this moment, the one who is preparing the way for Jesus dies, really on behalf of Jesus, in the way of Jesus. I think things become a little bit more real and tangible here for Jesus at this time. I'm not saying he's unaware of what is to come, but when he sees it face to face, when he hears about this news about Jesus being beheaded and dying in prison, I think things become more real to him. Oh, he is preparing the way. I too will die in a very gruesome way. So this happens in Matthew chapter 14. The second thing that happens is that he feeds the 5,000. But between those two things, it's really important to see what Jesus does. After he had heard what had happened, he withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. After Jesus hears about his cousin being beheaded in prison, the very first thing he has to go do is go to a private place to pray. That is Jesus' first reaction to hearing this news. And then, of course, we know what happens when he feeds the 5,000. We have these loaves and these fishes, and they're multiplied, and everybody gets their fill, and they have more to pick up afterwards. And in the process of all this miraculous food multiplying, these people are bringing their sick to be healed by Jesus. And so not only is he performing this miracle of feeding many, many people, he's performing the miracle of healing people as well. And then immediately after Jesus has this experience, guess what Jesus does? It's going to sound familiar. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat. That's the same verse. Okay, Jimmy, let's have the right thing up here. Okay. <laughs> I, that's what happens when you copy and paste. Sorry. All right. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, verse 22. Excuse me. Yeah. Did I have that? I apologize. Okay, in verse 22, immediately, you're going to have to just listen to me here. Okay, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So it's the same thing, right? After he hears the news about John the Baptist, he must go into a private place and pray. After he does these miraculous things, he get, must go into a private place and pray. You see what Jesus is doing. He has to go be and spend time with the Father. These events happen in sequence in Matthew chapter 14. These gruesome, this gruesome tale of John the Baptist followed by the miraculous feeding of a 5,000 and then to where we are this morning about Peter walking on water. Sounds like a lot is happening in the life of Jesus at this time, right? Amen. Can you feel the fatigue maybe setting in for Jesus? But I find it interesting that Jesus, when he finds himself in this state of fatigue or maybe in a state of just worry or doubt or whatever it might be, he goes towards the Father, towards a solitary place to commune with his Father. 
That's important. Remember that. And then we have this scene unfolding in Matthew chapter 14. Enter Peter where he's going to have his moment with Jesus. Remember, we have to recognize that the disciples are there with Jesus as he goes from place to place, okay? They are not unaware of what's going on. They are not coming in from vacation only to be on this boat with Jesus at this time, right? They are with Jesus. They are with Jesus as they hear the news about John the Baptist. They are with Jesus as they're collecting the loaves and fish. They are seeing all these things take place. And when they meet Jesus on the water, they are fearful for their lives. They think they're seeing a ghost walking out on the water. But when Jesus speaks and Peter hears, Peter becomes bold. This should not surprise anybody, right? Peter becoming bold in this situation. In this time, his trust outweighs his fear, right? You can imagine Peter the fisherman being on a boat in the middle of a storm. You can think about all the friends that he's experienced. Maybe he's had people die in his life during a storm. Maybe there's stories going around in the area about what you should and shouldn't do when there's a storm. I guarantee you, all of us living in a coastal town, we all know, don't go in the water when there's a storm out there, right? Unless you're crazy and you want to catch some waves or something. I don't know. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, but we know that like, there's some bad things that happen in their storms when you're on the water. And Peter's out there and he assesses the situation and he hears Jesus' voice. And in that moment, his trust in Jesus outweighs his common sense. And he says, I must go towards Jesus. I must go towards Jesus. But when reality sinks in, Peter begins to sink in. And I apologize for that pun, but I had to do it. Okay. When reality sinks in, Peter begins to sink in. When he looks around, right, that's what the scripture says. When he looks around and he sees the winds and the waves, he begins to sink. And then Jesus goes to him and he has this, uh, he has this interaction with, with Peter about you of little faith, right? Why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt me? But what I think Jesus is, is, is getting to Peter right here, and I think what we're supposed to read into this this morning is just because you have doubts does not mean you do not trust God. Just because you have doubts does not mean that you do not trust God. You of little faith, why did you doubt? We shouldn't see this as a failure on Peter's part at all. Because Peter got out of the boat, right? He heard the words of Jesus and he wanted to go towards Jesus. And I can't help but think of what Jesus was displaying to the disciples over and over again. When Jesus became stressed out, when Jesus was in a time where he was busy, the very first thing he would do after those times was what? Go to the Father. Go towards the Father, even when things were crazy outside. Even when it didn't make sense for him to stop and go to the Father, Jesus would always stop and go to the Father. And I think in this time where Peter's on the boat and the winds and the waves are swirling around him, he sees Jesus and he says, I must go towards Jesus. I'm going to be bold and go towards his voice. This is not a failure on Peter's part. I think it is really a victory, and I think it tells us a lot about humans. So many times we allow our opinions, our preconceived notions, and our doubts to distract us from what God is calling us to do. Right? Peter's in this boat, and the common sense thing to do would be, why don't I wait in this boat and wait for Jesus to come to me? But Peter's not about common sense. 
Peter's about being bold. Peter's about following Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. And for humans, for us today, we say the exact same thing to whatever doubts we have going on in our mind. We allow our doubts to control our actions because it goes against what we believe to be common sense in this world. We allow our doubts to control us. We allow our fears to control us. And we don't even step out of the boat even when we hear Jesus calling us to do something about it. Doubt and fear control our actions. We desperately want to be on the right side of things. We desperately want to be right in our lives. And we don't want to humble ourselves to say, maybe Jesus is calling me to do something different. That is scary. Just as scary as Peter stepping out of this boat. But if we recognize and truly believe that Jesus is out there calling us, it shouldn't be scary but it still is scary, right? It is still a little bit scary to go against what we know and believe, the, the, the preconceived notions of our world, but that's what Jesus calls us to sometimes. Instead of pursuing Christ, we allow fear and doubt to stop us. And, and Peter really is, like I said, emulating Christ in this situation. Christ was always stopping and going towards the Father rather than what everybody else wanted, us to, wanted him to do. We were talking uh, in Wednesday nights in the teen class about how Jesus was always looking to break rules in front of the right people, right? He's always looking to break the Sabbath in front of the people who are going to be upset about him breaking the Sabbath, right? Jesus was always about stepping out of what was preconceived notion of the day and doing what God was calling him to do. And I don't believe he's mad at Peter. I don't believe he's saying, you have zero faith. You are so weak, Peter. I just think he wants to direct Peter's energy here. You are bold. You stepped out of that boat. But why did you doubt? You did it for a second. You saw me. We made eye contact. But when you looked around at what was going on, that's when things got twisted. Keep looking at me because I'm going to be with you. I want to direct your energy. And just because you have doubts does not mean you do not trust me, Peter. And I believe those same ideas, that same thought is passed down to us. Just because we have doubts in our faith, just because we don't have all the answers the world might want to throw at us, does not mean that we do not trust God. We cannot and will not have everything figured out. And that's what last week was about, right? The humility of the centurion. He has so much power and so much authority on earth, yet he was humble to Jesus and was able to recognize, hey, this man, Jesus, has more power and authority than even I can imagine. When we have doubts, when we have fears, and we, when we allow those to control us, we're not allowing God to, to guide us in our lives. It's okay to have doubts. It is okay to have fears. The question is, what are you going to do about it? And just because you sink in a little bit like Peter, just because you might not have all the answers, does not mean that you are a bad disciple. Because we are all disciples in here. I was listening to a sermon this week. Uh, Josh Graves, he's the preacher up in Otter Creek in Nashville. And he was talking about this idea of doubt. And sometimes in, in churches, we like to think about, um, we, we like to say that, you know, we want to be certain in our faith. And I believe that's so, so true. But sometimes I think that when we think about doubt, we see that as the, the linchpin, that if you have doubts, you cannot have faith. But this was his quote here that I think it's been resonating with me, that doubt is not the opposite of faith. Certainty is. 
And I'm not talking about certainty and faith because we all want to be certain in Christ, right? We want that to be. But when we allow our doubts to put us into a place of this cannot be true, that is when we get in trouble, okay? I want you to imagine Peter in the water here when Jesus picks him up and says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? I want you to have that image in your mind, but also have the image in your mind of when Peter is talking to Jesus about when Jesus said he's going to die and be raised on the third day. Do you remember this? Jesus says, you know, I'm going to die and be raised on the third day. And Peter's response is, no, you aren't. Certainly this will not happen. Peter pulled Jesus aside and rebuked Jesus and said, this cannot be true. And then what was Jesus' response? Whoa. What was Jesus' response? Get behind me, Satan. How different are those responses? You have little faith, why did you doubt? And get behind me, Satan. Because in that moment, Peter was certain that this will not happen to you, Jesus. This will not happen to you. This cannot happen to my Messiah. But Jesus had different plans. He allowed his doubts to become certainty. And in that, he had his theology about Jesus was totally twisted. And Jesus wanted to make sure that he said, you get behind me, the opposition, get behind me, my adversary, because what you're saying is totally not true. There's a difference there. Allowing our doubts to be doubts, allowing us to be able to grow and and to ask more questions. Because I guarantee in that moment, if Peter said, Jesus, could you explain this to me more? Do you think Jesus would have had the same response? No, right? He would not have said, get behind me, Satan, right? For asking a question. Jesus was all about questions. He was all about letting people wrestle with their doubts. If you look at how Jesus would teach, it was always in stories. It was always in parables to where people were asking more questions, right? To, to ask more questions and to find their own answers to what Jesus was teaching. That's what we need to do with our doubts. Not allow our doubts to become certainties, become these walls that we build around ourselves to not ask any more questions. Our doubts need to lead us to deeper questions and to deeper knowledge about what Jesus is calling us to do and be. We must not fear doubt because I guarantee it will happen. And if you're not doubting right now, you're not allowing your faith to mold you into who God's calling you to be. We need more questions. We need to grow closer and mature in our faith about what Jesus is calling us to do. So the question is, how can we strive towards trusting God in our lives? How can we strive towards trusting God in our lives? I think there's three ways. There's so many ways, but just three for today. The very first thing is that trusting God is different than trusting people. Are you with me? I'm not a history, you know, I'm not like a history buff or anything, but I do know there's this one man named Neville Neville Chamberlain. You guys have heard about Neville, Neville Chamberlain? He was the prime minister, and his legacy is based around trusting the wrong people, right? Neville Chamberlain was known for meeting with Adolf Hitler three times before things really broke loose. And after their third meeting, Neville Chamberlain came back and he basically said that there was nothing really nefarious about what Hitler was doing. And the reason why that he believed Hitler was because Hitler gave him a double handshake. A double handshake, right? Right? 
He put so much trust and so much energy in this person-to-person contact, this double handshake, that he allowed a lot of bad things happen to a lot of people. And I'm not saying it's just his fault, but what I want us to get into is this mindset of we have difficulty trusting each other, and rightfully so, because people are not God. But because it's difficult to trust one another, it becomes difficult to trust God. And I want us to recognize and say together that trusting God is different. And we have to get beyond the hurt that we've experienced. And for some of us, that's very difficult. I know there's so many people in here that that I've experienced in my faith or, or wherever that they don't want to call God Father because they didn't have a father. You know what I'm saying, right? They didn't have, like, it, it's, it's, it's an injustice to call God father because their father figure was either absent or they wished that he was absent. And so in order to call God father, there's this barrier that they're going through. And there's so many different ways I could describe that. But, but we have to get beyond our human perceptions of trust and recognize and just trust that God is different. Amen? We have to put ourselves in a situation where we say, you know what? That person might have done wrong to me but I know that God is different. And I think the more that we live into that, the more that we allow that to be truth to us, the more that it will become true in our walk. We approach God with humility and things become clear. Once we approach God and say, you know what? I don't have everything figured out. Neither does he or she or whoever. I'm coming before you because you are different and I believe that I can trust in you. The second thing is Jesus is with you in your doubts. Okay? It's very important to set the scene for what Peter's going through as he's walking on the water and he begins to sink. Does does Jesus run ahead and get in the boat first and then do the, you know, grab him by the life vest and fall backwards? Does he do that? No, thank you. Does Jesus run to shore, you know, and and say, call for help and get more people to swim out to the ocean and help Peter? Does, Does Jesus do that? No. While they're still in the water, Jesus immediately picks up Peter, and then then they get in the boat together. I want you to have that image in your mind as you have doubts in your faith walk. That Jesus is not in the boat lording over you, superior over you. You say, how could you not have any trust in me at this point? But he's there with you in the water, ready to pick you up and say, hey, why don't we get in this boat together? Why don't we do this together? You are not alone. I am with you. And you can hear that echoed throughout all of Scripture. I am with you. Do not fear. I am with you. The third thing is that we need to realize that our trust, your trust in God, has an effect on other people. Last week we talked about humility and that sometimes uh, when we're not so humble, people don't want to be around us, okay? We realize that sometimes when we think we know it all, people don't like to be around know-it-alls, right? And that the faith of the Roman centurion was kind of exemplified in the way that other people gravitated towards his circles, right? Even the Jewish elders, his friends, Jesus gravitated towards the Roman centurion because he did not think so highly of himself. The same thing is true about trusting God. The more that we live into this trust, God will bless us, and I think people will notice, right? I I talk to this lady every single Tuesday. 
she kind of laughs at me every time we talk because she, stuff's going on in her life, but she always says, but I can't complain because, and then she'll fill in the blank. And I, I tell her, I was like, you know what? It's okay sometimes to have worries. It's okay to have doubts. And she's like, you know what? I trust in God, and that's all that really matters. And just her example of faith, I don't know much else about this woman, but I know that she trusts God. And it would be really cool if people saw that in your lives, too, right? You know, I don't know too much about Jimmy. I don't know what his favorite color is or what kind of ice cream he likes, but I know that he trusts God, right? I don't know too much about this person, but by the way they act and treat other people, I know that they trust God. And I think when a group of people collectively do that together, the world changes. We see, we see this talk, and me and John have been talking over the past, Wednesday, past couple of Wednesdays about the effect of the Holy Spirit on other people. We talked about how, the, how Peter changed as a man once he received the Holy Spirit, and then Pentecost happened. Do you remember what they said about the people at Pentecost? These guys are drunk. Remember that? Because of what they were saying and how they were saying it. The world was noticing because the Holy Spirit was doing a great work in those people. And a lot of people came to know Christ because of their boldness, because of their faith. And those same people who had such boldness and faith were the same people falling into the water that day. So I want to give you encouragement to say, with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do a lot of great things in this world. Your doubts don't just leave you. Your doubts are not just doubts. They are opportunities for growth. Opportunities to trust in God and show others how they can too trust in God. Trust develops your faith. And it's not going to be easy, but thankfully we don't do it alone. So I'm going to pray here, and then we're going to have an invitation. But this morning as we pray, I want you to think about where you aren't trusting God. Where's the one place that you don't want to be asked about your faith? Who's the one person you don't want to talk to? Who's the, what's the one question that you don't want to think about anymore? Anything that you might want to think about right now, where's the area that you need to trust God more? And I want you to have that. I'm gonna, we're going to be silent for a second, and then we're going to pray. But I want you to think about whatever that is, that person, place, whatever it might be, where you are lacking trust. All right, so we're going to pray, and we're going to do that. All right. God, so many of us right now are thinking of that thing that is difficult for us. That person, that relationship, that area, that whatever it might be, that thing that is making us doubt more and more, God. And and for some of us, our, our, our heart might be beating a little bit faster right now. We might be sweating. We might be frustrated. We might feel a lot of feelings right now. But God, we recognize that you can take this doubt and do great things through us in those areas. And we're not going to allow those doubts to stifle our faith. Rather, we're going to allow those doubts to create opportunities for our faith to grow even deeper and deeper to knowing you. God, so I pray that everybody who's thinking of whatever that might be, I pray that you give them courage and boldness through the Holy Spirit to directly go towards those things rather than away from them. To go towards them as Peter goes towards you, as Jesus would go towards you in those moments of of doubt and clarity or whatever it might be, I pray that we can go towards those things with boldness and faith and trust that you will be with us along the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
If you have any needs, this is the opportunity to bring them forward, but you don't have to come forward here. We have people standing in the back. We have people that go into the prayer room. If you need to grab somebody, grab somebody and say, I need to pray with you right now. Please do something about it this morning, okay? Because we all have doubts. We all have fears. And if we, if we ignore them and act like they're not there, guess what's going to happen? Nothing. Jesus shines a light and overpowers any darkness that we have in our lives. We'd like to invite you to come now, share them while we stand and sing.